and welcome to another edition of Meet the Author. We've got a great conversation in store for you today, and I'm just going to hand it right over to my co-host, Gary Wong. Gary, take it away. Thanks, Tamara. Wow, we got a really good audience out here today here. So like one of the fun things we can do, since this will be a fun session, it's, it's Karsten after all. Uh, we want you to go in the chat and just type in there, what are you eating right now? Because I think we've got people all around the world here. So are you having breakfast? Are you having lunch? Are you having wine with your dinner? Just let us know. It's kind of a fun thing. Oh, pork scratchings. That sounds kind of cool. Okay, thanks for that. Well, um, I have the honor, really pleased to um, introduce somebody that doesn't need any introduction, Carson Bush. Carson has written several books here. And what we're here today for the next hour, talking about his latest book. And this latest book is called Preventing Industrial Accidents, Reappraising H.W. Heinrich, More Than Triangles and Dominoes. So welcome, Karsten. Thank you. And thank to everyone for turning up. It's, it's really humbling to see such an audience. It's great. So I've got some, some questions that I prepared for, for Karsten, but He's, this is one of these interactive shows that um, Tamara kind of is in the background watching it here. Any comments you put on chat, she's going to look at her too. And it's not a conversation just between myself and Karsten. Um, we invite people. Um, maybe you put up your hand or, or let um, Rosa or Tamara know that you've got a comment to make. And uh, we'll let you um, join in the fun as well. Okay. So best thing to do right now, if everybody can put yourself on mute, then we don't get the background noise of dogs barking and whatever. In my case here, the garbage man may be coming soon. So we can do that. Uh, I'm going to start off by just asking Karsten, what made you decide to write this book? Is there a need that you're trying to fulfill here? <laughs> Yeah, I, I could say yeah, I'm, I'm a very egoistic uh, because I tend to write books that I would like to read myself so, and nobody else does them. <clears throat> but uh, let, let, let me just go back to uh, when I started uh, uh, being interested in, uh, in Heinrich's uh, work because I think that's, that's when, when it really started uh, for this book. And that's about, well, 10 years ago, I think. And I came in, in several discussion uh, groups where there was a lot of discussion on well safety forums, uh, where there was a lot of discussion on, on Heinrich's work and it was wrong and it was bad and it was, well, it was the holy grail and whatever. <clears throat> and uh, I realized one thing and that's um, most of these people discussing uh, Heinrich, uh, they, they didn't read Heinrich at all. They, they hadn't read his work. Um, I, I happened to have uh, two of his books in the bookshelf, and I hadn't read them either at that point. And I decided now it's time to take them out. So I did. I, I started and read them uh, well. Back to end, both I made I made some uh, summaries uh, for my own use. And that got me thinking because, uh, well, one thing was uh, people were discussing uh, him and his work without uh, actually knowing what he said, why he said it, etc. And there were some things that made me curious, uh, like the, the seeming uh, yeah. well, focus on, on direct causes in, in his domino model. And well, then I, I wanted to have some more, and I well, I, I started to study him a bit better and his background. And well, it turned into a thesis, and then I thought uh, maybe it, it would be good to have a book because uh, Heinrich's work it's it's hard to find. Mm -hmm. uh, his books are out of print, the last edition which isn't a very good one if you want to know about Heinrich himself, is from 1980. And after that, he went out of print. His papers are hard to find somewhere on, on the internet. And I thought it, it would be good to just present to the, to the younger audience uh, an overview of what did he do and also, well, 
out of my curiosity, why did he do, why did he write the things he, he wrote? What were his influences and how did he get to what he, well, left to the world? So that's, yeah, I, I think it, it was a quite natural uh, progression uh, over time. And of course it is when you look at it with hindsight. So that's yeah. a bit about why I chose to write a book at some point. I, I always kind of introduced it because somebody told me, like, in, I think it was 1933 when he wrote kind of like the very first safety manual at the time. And that, that, that became the Bible for us carrying forward here. But I understand that he, he's not a psychologist or an insurance guy, but he's an engineer. He, he worked for insurance, so he was an insurance guy, of course, but he, he started as an engineer and he started from a very humble uh, blue collar background. He was a uh, child to German immigrants to Vermont, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, he, he had a grammar school and then at age of 13 or something, he, he started working and worked his way up engineering. He was in the Navy. He sailed on, on uh, well ships and ended up in a, a tool making and after after he met someone who convinced him you should come uh, to work for travelers uh, he did in 1913 i think if i recall well and, and then he stayed there and did a lot of other stuff yeah rosa for yeah. him uh, Karsten, why do you think um, his work fell into such disrepute? Because I, I remember all of a sudden I started seeing a lot of articles about how um, his work was incorrect and, and we had been misinterpreting it. Yeah, I think one of the things is uh, we have been misinterpreting it and then we attribute the, the, well, the stuff we are stuck with now to where it originated. So I think that that's one thing. Um, uh, I also think there there's there are several factors, but one other factor is, um, as I argue in mostly in my thesis, uh, that when when the new view came, uh, they needed something to contrast themselves to. And well, Heinrich was a was a good example for how the old view of safety uh, was. Um, I think that's that's one part of it. And, and then you see that new ideas are coming or repackaging of, of new ideas and it's not restricted to any any view, but that they will uh, say, well, look at this old stuff and what we have is, is new, it's better, it's... Yeah. I think that's that's one part of it. And, and a lot of... Uh, poor, let me say, poor in interpretations and poor um, implementations. Uh, good. Yeah. And, and also then the, the association with, with uh, behavior-based safety, which got a bad rap uh, for several reasons, and which also suffers from the same uh, fate, I think, uh, that gets a lot of uh, uh, criticism uh, because of bad implementations most of all not because the thinking is necessarily bad yeah I, I, I've had that experience as well in a different field where um, I got to be I'm a certified trainer for Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people which is great but um, over time you can see some consultants get a little kind of creative next thing you know there's um, they create oh you want another habit oh, Sure, I can give you another habit. And there's an eighth habit, the ninth habit here. And then um, Covey kind of says, um, I think they're kind of like meandering beyond what I originally wrote. So let's go back to the principles. I think that's what's happened to a lot of the stuff that started off really well based on principles. So in some cases, when I read the book here, it was, you were telling me more than triangles and dominoes, let's get back to the principles of safety and kind of go from there. Yeah, I think it's it's very correct what you say. Uh, if there is a popular um, or well, an intuitive uh, peeling idea, people will take it and will make it to their own. 
and and that's actually a good thing because people are creative and people should adapt stuff uh, problem is i think when it gets too shallow and when you take coffee's seven principles and you only uh, look at the headlines and not well, be, because he, he wrote a thick book about it so that there, there's much more richness uh, to to the message than just the seven headlines and it's the, the same with Heinrich. It's the same with the Swiss cheese model. It's much more than just a, a fancy drawing that, well, we, we can make our own story uh, into. But there is a, a thought behind, there's a philosophy behind, or at least some deeper thoughts. And then you, at some point, you have to step back and look what, what's really here. Yeah. Well, as a, as a practitioner, maybe some other folks will speak up. I, I know that, you know, when you're explaining things to people out in the workforce, I tend to simplify because uh, they're not interested in the theory or the principles. And, um, and I did it a lot more when I was younger than, than I do now. But that was, uh, as a practitioner, I found myself doing that quite a bit. Um, so what is the essence of uh, Heinrich that is uh, true and that we should reconsider? Oh dear, that's a, that's a hard question. Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know if, if I can, if it's easy to, to reduce uh, his work to an essence because it's, it's 40 years. But one of the things that is uh, quite essential in his work, if you, if you take it to an abstract level, is actually uh, what you are saying, uh, that you have to make stuff practical and, and translate it uh, to your audience. To, and then his main audience were uh, managers and well, after that only uh, safety people and, and workers. He spoke mostly to, to managers. He was a management consultant, uh, more than actually a safety guy, I would say. And, and he was really good taking some easy principles about uh, making things safer and translating them into three, four bullet point list. This is how you should uh, work. A bit like when we are saying now, uh, plan, do, check, act. Uh, that's how you should uh, structure your work. He had also this kind of lists, uh, like uh, you have to have the will to do something, then you have to find the facts, then you have to determine where is your problem, and then you have to set some actions and follow them up. So it's kind of plan, do, check, act uh, in other words. And, and I think that that's his essence. And then he built some, or he didn't build, he, he found some, some really nice, catchy, uh, well, metaphors, models, ratios, etc., to sell and anchor in uh, his, uh, his principles. Mm -hmm. I, I found actually the, the last chapter in your book, the most interesting one. And this is where you entitle it Heinrich in the 21st century, yeah. where you write about his relevance in today's safety science and practice. Uh, what reflections can you share when you wrote that chapter? Uh, oh dear, uh, that, uh, uh, it's a heavily uh, revised and rewritten uh, chapter, I must say. <laughs> <clears throat> but what one that I found really important uh, because uh, um, there are a lot of people saying, well, all these uh, old guys from way back, uh, wh wh why should we spend time on them? Uh, well, they're models, uh, we've used them, they've had their use, let's just bury, <laughs> bury them. And especially because they're so abused and, and wrongly interpreted, let, let's just forget about it. And I think uh, there are several reasons for not doing that. And, and I'd, I'd like to, to uh, quote Carl Weick for one reason, and uh, I have written it down here. He, he says in his book, uh, Organizational Sensemaking from 95, uh, part of a professional development consists of cultivating an appreciation of historical roots of current issues, questions, and concepts. 
I think if you want to understand really what you're doing, uh, you have to look back and understand uh, where do we come from. History does matter. Context does matter. And context comes from uh, the from the history, the, the stuff we've done before and how things have uh, developed. So I think that that's one important uh, reason why we as a safety profession actually should look back uh, also to the beginnings, uh, even though uh, the situation may be quite different. At the same time, um, while factories and workplaces may be very different, uh, people are still people. And uh, even though we now have smartphones glued to our hands and, well, we are perhaps easily distracted, uh, we are still human in, in much. So we are not that different. So uh, a lot may still apply. We just have to review it critically. And then I think, uh, well, I don't know if you've heard about uh, what's what's called the Delindy effect. Uh, Nassim Taleb uh, talks about it. He, he says if there are non-perishable things like ideas, um, you can more or less predict uh, how long they will be here by looking at how long they've been here before. So I don't think that, that Heinrich and his work will go away anytime soon, even if we want to. Um, it's been around for 80 years. Uh, best prediction is it will be around for another 80 years, at least. <clears throat> Old stuff that has survived until today uh, has proven some value and has at least proven a lot of resilience uh, surviving for good and for bad mm -hmm. because there are really bad ideas around uh, also of course yeah. i'm not saying that that survival is a good thing per se uh, for ideas so i i think we have to realize that and well just accept okay we have this and it, it will probably be a benchmark for traditional safety in in decades to come so let's engage with it with an open and critical mind not just throw it away and think, well, that's old stuff. Uh, we, don't, uh, we don't need to, uh, to look at it. Uh, let, let's review it and see what value there is still. And, and I think there is value because Heinrich spoke about stuff that uh, is still interesting today and still very relevant today. Uh, he, he spoke a lot about uh, how do you convince managers? Uh, he spoke about uh, the uh, the the uh, tension between uh, commerce, money, uh, investments, and safety, which costs uh, money. Uh, he spoke about human behavior, and, and maybe we don't like uh, his view or what people have made from his view, but it's relevant. He, he spoke about practical solutions for, uh, for uh, safety issues. So I, I think there is a lot there uh, that, that we still have to take into account. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I find that's usually very controversial on LinkedIn is that people get annoyed um, when somebody reinterprets what's been researched before or what's been spoken about before. I don't know if, if you've, anyone else has noticed that, but they'll say, well, that's nothing new. That's already been discussed. There's nothing new about the new safety. Uh, that, you know, everything they're doing is a rehash. So um, I, I think I pretty much agree that a lot of these, like Heinrich is a good example of some very uh, wise and good research that has been done, but it goes, fades away into the background and then somebody comes forward with, um, with a new way of saying it. Would, would you agree, Carson? Is, is he reconstituted in some way? Has he, is he showing up in some way now? <clears throat> yeah, the, the, the whole uh, serious injuries and fatality uh, stuff uh, is just uh, taking a little sliver of Heinrich, uh, uh, saying uh, Heinrich had it wrong and we are having it right. Uh, <clears throat> that's, that's pure Heinrich just repackaged and uh, with, with a little bit of straw man added, uh, I would say. 
Yeah, yeah, I throw storm and I argument. Well, that I'm not going to discuss the triangle now. (laughs) Yeah, I did want to let everybody know that this is an engaging conversation. So if you have some thoughts that you want to share, let's use the uh, raise hand uh, reaction so that uh, Rosa or Gary or Carson even know to bring you into the conversation because we want to hear from everybody and and see what people are thinking. Well, there's a lot of action in the chat tomorrow. Have you noticed anything <laughs> that you want to bring? Yeah, uh, I can't keep up because I have to speak. So I just yeah, see right. stuff popping right. up there. But, but, but Rosa, I think you said something really interesting uh, about this, uh, this issue of uh, people uh, saying, well, that, that this is not new, uh, everything that, that Decker or Holnagel says and safety too. Uh, well, we, we had that uh, years ago and uh, Deming and whatever. And it, it just gave me a thought and I haven't uh, thought it's true, but uh, there's this phenomenon of uh, distancing by different uh, thing that you say, but uh, that doesn't apply to me because uh, I'm different or we are different, my situation is different. But uh, it sounds almost as if there is also a phenomenon of uh, distancing by saying, uh, well, this is what we always did. Taking some shallow uh, uh, resemblances and then saying, well, we we don't have to to look into uh, safety too, for example, because we are doing this already. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's one of the cognitive biases that we have, but we don't realize it's called a fundamental attribution error. Like, um, I'm okay, but there's something wrong with you. Um, it, was, um, it, was good, it was good work in my hand, but for you, it was, you were just lucky. So you, we, we have that, and um, that's one of the biases that we need to be aware of here. I, I really enjoyed your current, one of your first books, of course, was your safety myths book. Because again, it was provocative, maybe stop and rethink about all these things that I've been carrying forward and sharing out and realize like, oh my God, am I really doing good stuff or not? One of the comments in the chats is about local rationality. So I, th- I want to move over uh, there. Yes. I think it's really important. Oh, who, who, who mentioned that, Gary? Can we bring Oh, there's a few mind? people. Tanya's on there as well. Okay, but well, Herbert let's get Simon, some more people in here, right? Well, Herbert Simon in 1955, he was an early critic of the idea that people have unlimited information processing capabilities. There was that thought is that pe- people were just like computers. We could retrieve and store information very quickly. So Simon came up with the term bounded rationality to describe a much more realistic concept. Then David Woods extended that into local rationality. You talk a lot about local rationality in your book because it really applies to Heinrich. So at this point here, I'd like you to kind of introduce that and maybe Tanya and you guys, you guys can talk a bit about that more. It's, um, we don't know what happened back in 1933 because we live in 2021. Why is it different then? Yes, I, I don't even remember if I discuss local rationality that much in my book, but I, I use it as the, the main lens in, in my thesis uh, that looks on, uh, on Heinrich's work and, and new view how they discuss uh, Heinrich. And if I do a presentation about my thesis, uh, I tend to say uh, you can't forget everything I tell you about uh, Heinrich and and what he did or what he didn't do, uh, as long as you please remember this concept of local rationality, because it's so immensely powerful and and important, especially for uh, safety people, I think, uh, to make sense of or can help them to make sense of situations uh, afterwards uh, when something happened. But I think also in, uh, in uh, ordinary life, it, it will help you and, and give you a lot of peace of mind, I would say, uh, if, if you just take, uh, try to take, uh, well, try to step in someone else's shoes and think, well, oh, this looks stupid to me, uh, but, but why does it make sense to him? As an example from, well, I I think any organization, uh, I I speak to people on the work floor 
And uh, we'll often say, well, th those guys in the head office, they don't understand me. It's like they're living in a different world. Uh, and I say, yes, you're, you are completely right. They are. Uh, I work for the Norwegian police and, and police officers there. They're out in the street and, and well, they handle uh, situations and, and deal with people. And then you have the police commissioner. Uh, she sits up in the office a uh, few floors above me. And, and her reality isn't out in the street. Her reality is in, in the political scene, uh, dealing with budgets. Uh, it's, it's another world. And, and if, you, if you have to the realization, um, I, I think you can be at much more ease with, with all this stuff you don't understand. And then there is, of course, the challenge uh, to, to get the two worlds together, Br bridge that gap uh, in some way. And, and you will never bring one into the other world, but you can at least, well, try to, to give them some shared understanding of their, their problems up and down. And yeah, I think Anders is going to say something. Hi, Anders. Uh, Anders, please unmute yourself and join the conversation. Oh, there I'm, you are. I'm, hi, 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 Carsten. Um, I haven't read your book yet. I hope to do it soon. Uh, I'm thinking that you, you say that uh, Heinrich is out of print, so it's difficult to find his books. So if you want to get to know him and understand him better, what is the way to do it? Find old secondhand books somewhere or reading your book? Will reading your book get me to know Heinrich better? Uh, <laughs> uh, this is very tempting to say yes. <clears throat> it, it's going to be a yes, but um, I will always uh, urge people to find primary sources. Uh, but it's difficult. It, it really is. Uh, Heinrich's work is out of print. Um, they are originals are really hard to get. Uh, myself, I'm still looking for a first print, uh, for example, uh, the, the 31 version. Um, so it, it's sometimes it's near impossible uh, to do so. Um, on my website, I've started to establish a, um, a little Heinrich space, I want to call it, where I at least share all the documents that are uh, legally available. Uh, from Heinrich, uh, there, there are some sources uh, in various databases that are uh, available online and for free. So you, you can, uh, you can re find some there. And then, uh, well, my book, yes, of course, I, I will recommend reading it because I have tried to uh, base myself as much as possible on original text. There are a lot of uh, uh, quotes where relevant. And I try also to put uh, the, the various quotes and subjects into their historical context. Like when I discuss uh, how did Heinrich uh, deal with unsafe acts and what, what did he write, I will uh, Put it into the background of uh, what was the common thinking in the time and also add some critique uh, to it. Thank you very much. I've seen some of the quotes you have uh, put on LinkedIn and so on. So uh, you, you do get interested and, and you do realize that there is more to it than what you would get in other places. So uh, I will have a look at your web page and I will have a look at your book. And, and James was also yeah. wanting to say something too, so bring him in. James. Hi, Carson, Rosa, Gary, hope you're well. Hi, my kind friend. Two-fold two question for you. One first question is, is it likely that we'll be having this same conversation in the one that you have about Heinrich, Carson, with Safety 2, Hop, and the like? in 10, 20 years? And if so, how do we kind of probably stop that now or reduce the likelihood of that now? And that's an awesome question. And, and I think in one of the, the drafts of my thesis, I actually ended with, uh, with these uh, questions. Uh, 
are we uh, are we going uh, to discuss uh, Decker and Holnagel 80 years from now? How are we going to speak about them then? Well, none of us will be there, so we'll never know <laughs> un unless we get our hands on a TARDIS or something. <clears throat> but, but I think one thing that we uh, should really work hard for, and I know you've done some work in that direction, uh, James, uh, is uh, that we uh, should put an end to this uh, tribalism in, uh, in the profession because uh, that's really not helpful. And, and I think that just makes the problem uh, bigger that, uh, well, that, that you get uh, the, these really extreme uh, reactions and papers and quarrels uh, on LinkedIn and so on, which are so unnecessary because we're, we, we should be in for the same uh, uh, issue. So, uh, uh, I, I love the way, uh, uh, where, I, I don't know uh, when you did it, did you do it in our session where you discuss uh, the, the buffet that you, that you uh, pick from? I think that's a beautiful well, metaphor. Sure. Probably, yeah, yeah I, probably did. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful metaphor. We have this buffet uh, of, of uh, various tools that we can pick from and, or, or well, probably before you, you joined, Bruce was discussing his uh, awesome uh, spice rack. Uh, <laughs> you have all these this various spices and, and uh, you use what suits the situation and, and you can make some really brilliant mixes uh, for, for the specific uh, use. So I, I think that's something we should strive for. And there's a bit of old, a bit of new and a bit of blue and whatever. Great question two. Anybody else? Okay, we're in the last half of our session here. Um, so, uh, Gary, Rob um, put his hand up. Okay, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, Kirsten, um, um, uh, we haven't read your your I haven't read your book yet. It's 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 very uh, new, but uh, talking about icebergs. Uh, could you reveal uh, maybe a few things about your the interesting findings you've had uh, in in this research you did? Because the Heinrich stuff is is uh, it goes back a long time. You've done a lot of research. Uh, it's probably the finding your book, but are you prepared to reveal some of the uh, the findings you you you've had uh, about the iceberg? Did I understand you right? Well, no, I, it's just like a metaphor, <laughs> since yeah. it's uh, Heinrich uh, uh, is the iceberg principle, but obviously you have, you've done so much research. Uh, could you reveal some of your findings that may be different than the learnings we've had, let's say, from the 20, 30 years ago about Heinrich? Uh, well, one, one of the things that has struck me the last years uh, studying his work uh, and especially in relation to uh, to the safety triangle um, which has been uh, which has gotten some well wrong interpretations and it's seen as a, as a metric it's it's seen as something predictive and so on it's seen as something that, that should give a stable ratio uh, for which is universally uh, applicable. None of that is Heinrich. That's, that's all stuff that came afterwards and, and people uh, put their own uh, meaning to it, which can be okay, but it's, it's not as intended and it, it doesn't work that way anyway. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the one thing I liked best about uh, when Heinrich writes about it, uh, he talks about opportunities. And I find that such a beautiful word uh, when he says, uh, well, there's the situation uh, and, and you realize it could have been worse. Um, that isn't something, uh, that isn't a metric or whatever, but it, it's an opportunity to do something. And, and that I, I found really, really beautiful and, and insightful uh, that, uh, well, at, at that time, it was also really groundbreaking. Uh, there's little in Heinrich's work that it's uh, uniquely to him. 
because most of his models, his metaphors and all the stuff he tells is, um, it was already around at the time. What he did was just put it into a, a good framework. Uh, he presented it in an understandable way. He put it together that it became a complete package and not just some safety actions. Uh, but what, what he added, what was mostly his own, I would say, is the thinking about uh, here is stuff that could have been burst. Um, we could have done something about this before. There are opportunities. You do not have to wait for people to get hurt to take action. You can be proactive. I think that that's his main contribution, unique contribution to safety. And that's... I, I like that. And, and then the, the interesting thing is uh, you see uh, almost the same words coming back now from Holnagel when he speaks about learning opportunities in his, not his last book, but the, the one before. Yes, uh, uh, this diagram and, and he even has a tilted triangle in there if you want to see it. Mm. So I was seeing that Gordon had his hand up. Did you have a question or a comment, Gordon? Yeah, just a, a comment. I, I haven't had a chance, uh, Carson, to read your book yet. I'm in the middle of uh, uh, learning teams, one by Brent Sutton that I just uh, just purchased and I just finished a Hullnagel one. So I'm on this uh, path of, uh, of learning, uh, you know, more about what the academics are doing on, on the side of health and safety. I always considered myself a person that got to live it at the at the sharp end or at the at the front line, but the one the one comment that I, that I would have is that I don't think there's any shortage of understanding of how to work safe. Uh, I, I I don't believe there is from an academic point, and I don't believe there is from a frontline worker point. I think we completely understand how to work safe in most in most cases. Um, what I would say is is society really committed. Uh, to to valuing the work or the products that are being produced and, and the people that are producing them, so to so to speak. So uh, an example is we have the the Boeing crashes of the 737 Max. Uh, this is across the world. There's been you know d disdain for Boeing. Boeing put billions of dollars into correcting this particular uh, uh, issue. And, and we're now a year and a half, almost two years into before they're going to be flying again, or they're recently flying. But when we look at construction, we look at mining, we look at logging, we look at fishing, we look at uh, marine transport, all of these various things, we don't tend to kill people 180 at a time. Uh, and it certainly doesn't affect the public, it affects the workforce. And to me, this is going to, we will be talking about this in 20 years and 30 years until society says uh, it's like cigarettes. Uh, we, we know what causes cancer and until there is enough outrage, we will, we will not see uh, all these theories come into play at a, at, a, at a rate where we will see a significant drop in health and safety deaths. That, that's my little spin this morning, but I'd love to hear your comments on, on societal uh, buy-in to, uh, you know, to health and safety. Thank you for that opportunity. Okay, uh, I, I'm not sure that there wasn't an, uh, a real question there, I think. <laughs> okay, so I, I didn't miss it. But, but I, I like your reflection on, on the, the, the societal bit and, and how does society value and, uh, and actually push us forward or push us back uh, or whatever they want to do. Um, and, and maybe a little reflection from mine. Um, uh, a few years ago, I did a, a presentation on some safety myth at a, at a Dutch conference, I think it was. And uh, there was a little sequence about uh, safety as a choice. Is safety a choice? Because that's, that's some people who, who claim that, that it's mostly a choice. And uh, what I did was uh, to show uh, the, the audience a picture of a little boy, five, six years old, I guess in Vietnam, uh, in a workshop that I had found on the um, internet. 
and then I asked them to reflect on, on, on that picture because is safety a choice? Is, is working under uh, terrible uh, circumstances, but uh, what other choice does this uh, kid have? And, and then there's the question, uh, why does this kid uh, have these choices or doesn't ha he have these uh, choices? And I think that that's back to us because we like to buy uh, our t-shirts uh, for uh, $4 a piece and not uh, for uh, $50 a piece. So uh, who, who's really to blame for unsafety? It, it's not a poor little guy on the sharp end. Uh, yes, it, it's, a, it's a bit about the, the people, uh, the, the, the sweatshop owner, of course. It's the company. But we are on the other end, society. We, we want cheap products. We, we want cheap flights also. Because, well flying around to, to the USA or another place. It, it used to be a luxury uh, when I was young. Now now you get, well, Ryanair, you, you pay more for your suitcase than for your seat. When we will be flying again, uh, which, well, <laughs> whenever that is. Uh, what going that, to do, yeah. yeah. Bill Stentner, you wanted to make a comment, um, just unmute yourself. Why, 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 yes. Who, who would have thought Bill wants to talk? Um, <clears throat> so one of the things that I see on a daily basis, Karsten, is if, if most companies have a rule how much you can lift, right? So if, if we see a worker lifting 30 pounds more than they're allowed to lift, everyone is up in arms and, and wants something done about it. But no one is interested in solving the problem of the purchasing agent who's purchasing items that weigh too much for one person to carry and are, are not able to be carried by two, right? I, I found a mag drill that weighs 180 pounds in a box that has two handles, right? And it's labeled 180 pounds on it. So why did someone purchase that and why aren't we up in arms about the purchasing of that item and you know what i'm saying yeah it's upstream 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 yeah good point uh, i would say yeah yeah lars you got your hand up would you like to make a comment oh unmute yourself now here you go yeah, yeah, it's a little bit complicated. Hi, congratulations, Kastan. I'm so proud to know a, a, a real author. Thank you. <laughs> I was uh, uh, wondering about the title, Preventing Industrial Accidents. Is it uh, me over, over um, uh, reading it or is it uh, a real statement with uh, putting uh, the words around from uh, Heinrich uh, Earlier works. Yeah, yeah, you're you're completely right. Um, my my first uh, my first uh, title is actually the subtitle. <clears throat> I, I wanted to do something with a Heinrich more than a triangles and dominoes because I wanted to show uh, the, the full spectrum. Uh, people's only know the the dominoes and, and the triangle, and then well, they know he he was a big bad guy uh, back in the time because that's what I heard. And, and besides, he said a lot of uh, bad stuff about uh, people making errors. Uh, so, so that was my intention with the title, but uh, the, the publisher wanted something a bit drier and more serious. So uh, we, we landed on a compromise and I thought it, it might be fun just to play with the title of his best known book, Industrial Accident Prevention. And I, I turned it around and said, uh, well, uh, preventing industrial accidents because that's what Heinrich tried to do. And then we added my, luckily they agreed to my subtitle. Okay, but are you maybe uh, making a statement now that we have been uh, misusing the book? So we, we have been uh, causing industrial accidents now since uh, 50 years. No, I, I won't say that. <clears throat> the, the book do, do, doesn't make any of those suggestions. Okay, interesting. Uh, a great job. Thank you.
Yeah, Lars, my wife is standing here. She says hello. Yeah. Hello. Hi, on the chat panel, I introduced a question a bit about safety science because just extending on what um, Carson says, it's more than just triangle and dominoes. And Carson had this wonderful talk a bit about safety science itself. So I'd like to just kind of open that up there and just hear people's comments. Uh, safety science, and um, in Sidney Decker's book, he talked about that. It's not a natural science like physics, chemistry, or biology. It's a social science a studies that studies relationships and roles and individuals and systems here. Social sciences like psychology, they still suffer from this replication crisis that started 10 years ago. And if you're not familiar with replication crisis, it's this thing is that you can't go back and repeat the experiment that you did originally. That's the problem with the Hawthorne effect. You can't go back and do another Hawthorne effect today. So my question out to everybody is, what's your thoughts about the credibility of safety science? Do we risk pseudoscience issues with correlation versus causation problems here? What research do you see? And there's a lot of safety science if you're on their, on their website that comes out here. How do we know whether to believe it or not to believe it? Just because it happened to two or three people or companies, can we actually extend and say, it's going to happen everywhere? So I throw that open to anybody that wants to talk about that. May I ask an underlying question, Gary? Sure. I, as I look at who's present here, I wonder how many people are actually practicing safety and, and working at the sharp end, uh, either as a consultant or as a safety professional. Uh, Okay, I see one, a couple of hands up. Good, because uh, James, good. Uh, Bill is like trying to, yes. Because I'm wondering um, what attracts you to this discussion, okay? Because you're, you are practitioners and you are interested in safety science or you wouldn't be here. What, what attracts you to this discussion? Because your average, um, a uh, safety professional uh, would not be interested in engaging at this level. Mike, are you speaking? No, oh, I, thought, I thought you were talking Mike Phillips. <clears throat> Anybody have any comment on that? Um, I might share my, um, um, <clears throat> my rationale for attending today. I'm a consultant and um, I'm often brought in at uh, senior levels in the organization to look at operations that are not affecting, that where they, there's some opportunity to improve. And one can't really kind of distill it down to any one part of the organization that might be at fault. You, you, looking at it systemically, safety would always be, would, um, would, would be something one would have to consider. And um, particularly when you're looking at preventative me measures by adopting something that will prevent something bad from happening. <clears throat> when you're preventing something bad from happening, there's, it's very hard to capture an, an, an economic return or a return on investment. And the more frequently that happens, <clears throat> and, or the more distance um, occurs between when you implement something, um, people forget why they did things, and then they stop doing it. So there is a cost associated with that, an economic cost. It's, um, it requires capital. And if you can't see a return on that, and I, I can, I mean, you can look for examples all over the place with that. So why am I, I'm gonna invest in something <clears throat> with that promises something that I will never be able to measure because it prevents something bad from happening. Hmm. Measuring the unmeasurable. And then the people that, that are responsible for funding something like that are so far removed from that pointy edge of the spear uh, that <clears throat> they're reluctant to invest in that. Yeah. So you can have the, the who was an engineer, the, the um, launch commander for the, uh, I worked at NASA after the Columbia shuttle disaster. <clears throat> to this day, he will say he made the right call, that there wasn't enough information about <clears throat> um, uh, the danger inherent in the foam coming off and 
perhaps impacting on the on the shuttle because it happened on every launch. So that um, that acceptance of deviation, uh, he said he would make the same decision today because they had an economic um, crisis that was facing them. Congress and the American public had lost, the enamor had gone under the space project. <clears throat> so we now need to be an economic en entity that's predictable, that can launch. Um, so the notion that they would scrub that launch um, or with the O-ring again, it happened in two occasions when the engineers knew absolutely that there was a, the, da the danger was huge. So I'm, I'm, I'm always interested to hear what you have to say. How do I, how do I go back and make a case? So you use the safety science to help you make the case. Um, yeah, the science doesn't cut it. What I need is a death. I need someone who loses their hand. I have to take people down to the to the work to the place, and, and this has happened. I, I, you know, I'm in a first world democracy here in Canada, and 100 kilometers from here, a woman lost her hand in this the most um, archaic factory, where the probability of that happening was so obvious to anyone who just walked in off the street. So, Carson, what are your thoughts on this? There's two people that raised their hand tomorrow. I saw that. I just want to get Carson's thoughts. Okay, but uh, perhaps Anna and uh, James are much smarter than, uh, than me. <clears throat> but but I, I'll give it a, a little shot, uh, at least. Um, uh, one of the things... Um, uh, sorry, I forgot your name. It was Mike. Um, uh, this is one of the things that, uh, that Heinrich actually wrote about and that, that was his uh, uh, breakthrough uh, also as, as a wanted safety professional and, and his timing was perfect such to say because he published right before the big crisis uh, you know, of 28, 29 and, and then he, he kept going. Um, he he uh, addressed the, the financial uh, thing um, and, and he gave people a, um, and, and managers, he, he gave them a number to, to uh, well, to, to present some return of investment. And, and that number is wrong. Uh, and it depends, of course, on the situation and all that. And, and it, it discounts a lot of stuff. But it, he was really good in finding some ways to um, convince people and persuade them uh, to do something because of various reasons, uh, uh, moral, humanitarian, uh, financial. And, and then he um, had these, these ways of uh, telling them, and, and you can actually do something about it. You should, uh, it, it pays back and you can actually do this because you can manage your uh, organization. Uh, and if you can do that, you can also manage safety because the principles are pretty much alike and there, there are some different tools, but uh, he, he connected, uh, which is something that now the, the new view people, uh, Decker, Holnagel, safety too, and safety differently also do. He connected the, the primary process, the, 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 the ordinary work to, uh, and, and leadership to uh, safety. And he says, this, this is the same thing actually uh, you should be doing. So um, just take into account also these other objectives. And now I shut up and give the floor to Anders or James. Thank you. Thank you, Carson. So yeah, if you want to speak, do please use the raise hand so I can see it on the board because there's too many cameras here. Gordon, I had seen you before. If you still have a question, can you come on, Mike? Because you asked, you raised your hand about 10 minutes ago. And then we'll go to James and Anders. All right. Thanks. Cheers, Tamara. You were talking about this, Gordon, yeah? Because there was two Gordons and uh, yeah, I was, I was more aligned with the other Gordon. I wanted to follow after Gordon number one. And I'd be quite happy to be Gordon number two. 
Um, and it was on the basis when you mentioned uh, about those at the sharp end or who were practitioners, I think it was Rosa actually that, that raised that one. Cheers, Rosa. Why would we be bothered in the science and all that? I guess I'm just one of those weirdos that flip-flops both ways. Uh, I've done a bit of academic work with it. I join in with you guys uh, when I can. And uh, yeah, I'm at the sharp end of critical uh, um, infrastructure in the, in the marine construction. So across oil and gas, which um, Carson has uh, written about in the past uh, and renewables and large scale in, environmental. But I see it um, like a couple of the gentlemen actually have mentioned before uh, being a social science. So I'm in it uh, for the social bit. It's about people. And the way I look at it really is that uh, because the humans involved uh, immediately you're in a whole world of hurt if it was all robots everything was linear you wanted to do something the robot did it it did it you carry on uh, life would be simple but it's not it involves people and, and uh, people uh, uh, humankind are, are complex so for um, for those that are chasing a dollar and of course energy is one of them and like Carsten mentioned about wanting a, a four dollar t-shirt off, off the back of a 10 cents uh, child that's doing it in a sweatshop energy is not a lot different when you think about it everyone wants the cheap energy so we go out there and um, rape the seabed and uh, run around getting hydrocarbons everywhere and uh, in latter years we're now doing it with wind but we're still uh, mixing it up with the environment out there in the oceans with, with all our structures but at the end of the day people want energy they want the lights to go on so in in, in the middle of that is people that are sent out there. And I like the bit that Carsten was saying about, um, you know, do, do, do you have a choice uh, uh, when it comes to safety? And as we know from Piper Alpha through to Macondo, um, BP Horizon, uh, there are choices. And uh, unfortunately, some people make the wrong choice uh, and events like that happen. So I see myself as uh, not a crusader, but one of those guys that's in the middle of that pipeline uh, of events in a leadership position. And if I can make a difference, uh, I'm damn sure I'm gonna use my voice or my feet and try and try and make those differences and a lot of it is um, not because everyone out there is an idiot and we have to tell them what to do and if they don't wear the hard hat and walk around with a clipboard so I try and stamp on that stamp that out all the time it's, it's more to do with communications and as we are humans we are complex we are different and we'll do things uh, differently we have a different reality different cultures and a different worldview um, when you have uh, international workforces that are out there at the sharp end as you guys refer to it I like to think that I'm going to take each and one of those guys or girls uh, back home alive at the end of the day. Um, so by taking all these uh, opinions, uh, whether critical or other people and the, the variations about the old safety and new safety, sometimes I come in and I see Carsten on LinkedIn and he's putting people in their place and I just love it. It's a crack. It's fantastic. And I think if people stopped arguing about which was the right way or the wrong way and actually got back to basics of what are we there and what are we doing, we're actually trying to keep people alive. And it's not through uh, the, the, the lowly... Uh, a blue collar guy, you know, being an idiot or not having enough training or he didn't do his uh, ticking his tick box or something. That's not going to keep people alive. It's going to be people in leadership positions that get out on the, on the, on the deck, make a difference, talk to people, find out what's going on. And like one gentleman said about, you know, why, why does a designer or the logistic people bring in a 180 pound better kit and only put two handles on it and say, you know, this is all right. There's a, a whole world of that going on all the time. It really doesn't matter how you go about it. So there'll be circumstances where some people don't have a choice. They've been given this bit of kit. They've got to rig it up. They've got to make it work. And there's a whole heap of pressure behind them to actually achieve that. So I'm, you, like that, I'm like that little pressure valve in the middle, making sure that uh, what we do is correct uh, uh, as best we can and relieve the pressure from some of these people that are under pressure to perform in weird and wonderful ways and uh, iron things out before they do go wrong. And I can only do that if I listen to um, great guys and girls like you that have all varying uh, experiences and differences. Thank you, Gordon. That was great. I want to invite James on. James, you um, wanted to share something? Well, I was just going to answer my opinion of Rose's uh, question. My, I can only really comment for uh, the UK because unfortunately that's, only where, that's the only place I've worked. Uh, but in, in my experience, Rosa, to answer your question, I just kind of reached the end of the tools that I had. Um, I'd kind of used as many of the ACOPs and uh, the kind of general guidance and practices that I was taught in safety and came to a point where what people perceived my job was didn't really reflect what I thought my job was and thought there's got to be something else out there 
Um, I was disappointed to find that there was something out of time there because I thought I had the monopoly and I thought I was going to be really rich. Uh, turned out I was way <laughs> off base. Uh, and there's loads of really intelligent people out there already talking about this. But yeah, that that for me was was where, where I why I kind of start looking at this space is because science is always the kind of forefront of whatever's next. And uh, and I felt like there were, I'd had enough of what was what was there and what was available to me, so I needed something else. Oh. So do you do you find uh, that you're able to hear? Uh, for example, let's talk about Karsten's book. Like, what have you have you gleaned from something from this discussion that you think might apply to the sharp end? Well, I actually missed the beginning of this chat, unfortunately, but I was I was very lucky to have about an hour of Karsten's time uh, just chatting to him one on one. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of get talk about what I learned from him there. Um, I, I first time I heard Karsten, my mind was just blown a little bit, if I'm honest, but. Then, then after that, and we spoke to him more in depth, that local rationality piece for me was a game changer, an absolute game changer. Something that maybe I already knew and maybe already did, but hearing it from somebody else, then you, you just go, oh, oh yeah, that, that's so important. Like, and my grandma always used to say, put yourself in someone else's shoes. And that's essentially what, what he was kind of talking to me about and how much that can be applied in so many different aspects, not just us comparing research paper to theory to previous theories and new theories, but also the shop floor leaders. I think a lot of the time in the yeah. safety two world, maybe we, we go, well, don't blame the worker. And then we end up just blaming the manager and the leader anyway, but the same thing applies to them as well. Like don't blame the people, they're not the problem. That applies to the leaders as well. So put yourself in their shoes. So kind of local rationality for me was, when I, when I heard him say that and I Googled it and worked out a little bit more, that, that was just a game changer for me, 100%. Well, thank you very much. I know we're at the top of the hour, so I want to give it back to Carson and Gary for a moment. And if people can stay five minutes extra, um, we're, we'll stay open. But I just wanted to hand it off in case people have to go to watch time. Carson Great. and Thanks, Tamara. Great. So um, I think to wrap up this session, and like I said, if anyone wants to stay on, we're on here. I typically like to end these things kind of like the three big takeaways that Karsten, you would like to leave people with. What would be those big three things? Well, I think uh, the, the first one we've discussed now uh, quite extensively, but it, it's worth repeating local rationality once more. I think that's, that's probably the, the, the one thing I hope people take with them and, and reflect on and maybe as, as James said, uh, read up a bit on it. And there, there are some super interesting cases uh, around also where you wouldn't uh, expect them. Just, uh, just one example uh, that, that I saw quite recently in, in a Dutch newspaper uh, was a column uh, by uh, a philosopher of all people. Uh, who commented on, on the uh, riots that had been in, uh, in the Netherlands uh, because of the lockdown, uh, that they have this curfew, had this curfew, which is now overturned. And there were really harsh uh, discussion, uh, reactions on, on the, on the uh, riots. And, and surely uh, there, there happened things there that are not okay. People uh, demolishing stuff and then setting fire to stuff, etc. But uh, just to to say, okay, yeah, that that those are barbarians and idiots, and they should be locked up and uh, best in Siberia. Uh, that doesn't address the underlying issues. This philosopher said uh, it's actually important to try to understand because for these people, there's probably a good reason to behave why they behave like they do even if you don't share their worldview and don't understand why they do. So I, I, that, that's the one thing that I think that everybody should uh, take with them. The second uh, thing is, well, what, what put me on, on, on study Heinrich, uh, apply some critical thinking. Don't take things uh, just uh, uh, for a good fish because uh, some big uh, writer says something. Don't agree with me either. Just, uh, well, be welcome to read my books, but uh, 
well, be critical about it because I am biased too. Of course, everybody is. Um, so explore stuff. And then if you have the possibility, go back to the source. Great. Okay, well, thank you for those three points here. Um, Tamara, I'll let you in close up the session then for us. Well, thank you, everybody. That's another uh, edition of uh, Meeting the Author. It was a great conversation. It was just awesome to have everybody choose to spend their time with us today and um, be in this discussion. So thank you very much for carving out some time in your day to join us. It really does mean a lot to us to see the community come together like this. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs>